Well, hello, beautiful. Hello there. Hello. My name's Forrest. Forrest Gump. Hello, John. Hello, John. Hello, John. <laughs> hello. Hello, John. Welcome to the party, pal. Hello. My name is Diego Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Oh, hi, Mark. Hello, Neo. Do you know who this is? Hello, Poppy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Be Kind. Please rewind a 90s movie podcast. I'm your host, Kevin. I'm also your host, Chris. What's up, brother? How are you? I'm fantastic. This was a good month. I'm going to say good because the top three were okay, but there were a lot of other movies that were very good. I'm already feeling like me and you are going to disagree a lot tonight. Well, get ready to argue because I have differing opinions. All right. So we want to jump into it? First off, I want to make one minor change, I think. And we discussed this before, but I think best actor, worst actor, change to best role and worst role. Because I don't want to always have to find somebody who did their job poorly as an actor i agree because someone can do a great job and like do the best they could with what they had and it just be a bad role yeah and so it could be bad writing it could be a, a number of things that wasn't necessarily their fault so i think that for now we have other ideas that we want to implement in the future but for right now we'll do best Roll, worst roll. As our ideas pop in our head, we'll just pop them into the podcast. Which I have very few ideas. So. I have a few. So far, they're not good. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So let's dive into it here. Let's go. I'm ready to rock. All right. There were 10 movies this month. And I like that because uh, there was some movies in here, more than three, that deserve, deserve a little bit of a discussion. Yeah. And I think... It's kind of crazy because you look back in in January and there were what there was twenty something movies in January, and none of them were good. Yeah, it's crazy that in a month like July, you you get ten movies and six of which were movies I remember. Yeah. All right. So coming in at number ten, earning fifteen point two million dollars, meaning it only grossed two hundred thousand dollars because it was a $15 million budget, was Quick Change. In this movie, three thieves successfully rob a New York City bank, but making the escape from the city proves to be almost impossible. So this movie was directed by Howard Franklin, who I found nothing on, mm -hmm. and also co-directed by Bill Murray. That's interesting. Starring Bill Murray, okay, Randy Quaid, Ooh. and Gina Davis. It's a decent cast. Right, so it makes you wonder, like, how did... I mean, they were them at this point, right? I mean, Gina Davis was maybe two years away from a league of their own and really blowing up, but she was already an yeah. actress. Also, a lot of cross-referencing in this month because Gina Davis will come up again later. That's interesting. So it's like you have Bill Murray, who's already Bill Murray. Mm -hmm. You have Randy Quaid. I mean, he's not like a superstar actor, but everyone knows Randy Quaid from... Uh, Christmas Vacation, from all the vacation movies, but Christmas Vacation. Also, he was just in Days of Thunder. Uh, and he was just in Days of Thunder. So you would think like people would just get out of the seat, the, get out of their houses to go see this movie. Mm. But unfortunately, did not do that well. So I'm assuming it must have been terrible. All right. Well, <laughs> moving on. All right. Number nine, earning $19.5 million is Jetsons the movie. Okay. Now... Love Jetsons. 1990, they're obviously not doing this the, the every single episode anymore. 
I don't know how many years later it is that since they stopped doing the episodes. I the think show it was started in 1967. Yeah, so a bunch, I guess, right? Yeah. But I loved the Jetsons as a kid. Now keep in mind, 1990, you still don't have a lot of options for children's cartoons, right? Yeah, Disney isn't back into its. Uh, I mean, they just had the Little Mermaid, so they're only just back into making good movies again. Right. So I loved this as a kid. I kind of remember the plot line where. Uh, Spacely Sprockets has an off-world something or another that George has to go be the quote-unquote VP of. Like, that was a running gag. And like, he has to up- uproot his family and yeah, move so, to a distant planet, right? Right, so. and Judy's in a meltdown. Her life is over. One of her famous lines where because she was going to date this rock star and then they moved in the middle of it, so she's having a meltdown. And and then I don't remember what else happens, but... I'm not going to lie. I've definitely seen this movie, but I only remember every time I try to think of it, I can just think of the Jetsons meet the Flintstones. Was that yeah, the movie? Yes. That's the only one that comes to my mind. So, <laughs> Well, I also in this one too, I remember that they use some computer generated graphics as well as hand drawn. So I don't know because I didn't do much or any research on this really, uh, this particular movie. But um, I don't know when that, wh- how new that was, but I remember they definitely did that. I'm assuming it's, it's the Jetsons. If you like the Jetsons, it's probably what's here. It was, yeah, it was a great vehicle. And I remember really liking the movie as a kid, so I was happy to see it back. I tried to give it a go, but I was in the middle of other things. I made it like 15 minutes in and yeah. started doing other stuff. So, Oh, and the directors, in case you didn't know, are Hannah and Barbera. Love Hannah and Barbera cartoons. <laughs> I could have a, an entirely new podcast about Hannah and Barbera. You get on that one. I'm out for that. <laughs> All right, next. Coming in at number eight, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. Earning twenty million dollars, you know, which they spent on to make this movie. Twenty million. Twenty million dollars. They broke even. Well, look, everybody remembers this movie, right? If you know, if you're from that era, you remember that Andrew Dice Clay made the Adventures of Ford Fairlane. Beyond that, I have no knowledge of what this movie is. Well, I did a little research. I'm so glad you did. This movie, a vulgar private detective, is hired to find a missing groupie. And is drawn into a, mis- a mystery involving a series of murders tied to the music industry. Okay. I was shaking my head the entire time you read that plot because <laughs> it's just a vehicle for dice to be dice. Exactly. And so interestingly enough, this movie was directed by Rennie Harlan, who we'll talk about a little bit later. Why? He directs another movie released this month. <laughs> Which is astounding to have two movies released in one month that you directed. He also direct so he directed Die Hard 2, which we're going to talk about later, uh, Cliffhanger, and one of your favorites, Deep Blue Sea. Rennie Harlan is a director with very complex background because he's made some great movies. On the other hand, he's made one bomb in particular that I'll get into when the time comes. All right, we'll talk about that a little later. Next movie. Um, well, I just wanted you to know. Oh, I'm sorry. Some research I did about the adventures of Ford Fairlane. This yep. is the only known movie that is about a rock and roll detective. Okay. That's his title in the movie is Rock and Roll Detective. Oh, that's so self-serving. <laughs> and it won the Razzie for Worst Picture that year. Well, I could see that coming a mile away. Yeah. But still earn more money than two other movies in one month. So, All that. right. So can we move on from Dice? Moving on. I never liked Dice, and I Neither still did Grandpa. <laughs> There's no no surprise there. All right. So the Freshman, which is a movie that I thought was The Graduate, right? So I remembered the box cover. I was and like, I thought it was The Graduate too, which is absolutely insane because The Graduate came out when sixty seven, and we both thought it came out in ninety for some reason. 
And I also thought that Broderick might have been in the graduate as well. <laughs> All right. So because of the box cover, I thought it was a different movie. I thought I was getting something completely different, right? right. This movie was I really enjoyed it. I've never seen it before. I watched it from soup to nuts and I got it I really got a kick out of it. All right. So this movie stars Brando, Broderick, Bruno Kirby, Chris. I'm going to explain to you who Bruno Kirby is. I know who Bruno Kirby is. Okay. But all he's very notable for Godfather 2, which you tell everybody, tell everybody your shame. You've never seen I've Godfather. Never seen Godfather 2. Okay. So now <laughs> I'm okay with it. Put the dunce cap on. Uh, and you know who else is in this movie? B.D. Wong. Do you know who B.D. Wong is? That I do not. Okay. Is Wu- he... Is he um, oh. Please. The, the character from uh, 16 Candles. No. <laughs> What's you're, that? Wait, you're, What's you're, Ducky? Is that the guy's name? I'll gi- Duck? Yeah. All right. So I'll give you a hint. I don't know how many Asians you remember in... Uh, Jurassic Park, but can you guess which one he is? He's the head scientist. Wu, the head scientist from Jurassic Park. What? Yes. Great, great call. Uh, great, I'm sorry, very entertaining to see him in this movie. All right, so here's the plot. Okay, give me a, uh, give me a little leeway here because it's takes some time to explain. Broderick is a small town farm boy or a small town boy, not farm, right? He's going off to uh, film school. NYU. He gets into Penn Station. He's about to get on the subway. Bruno Kirby sees him there, spots him as like a mark, I guess. Offers Broderick a ride from Penn Station to the college. Gets Broderick from Penn Station to the college. Tells Broderick to go outside, get his stuff out of the trunk. Drives off with all Broderick's stuff, his money and his clothes. So he's stranded in New York without anything. Happens all the time in New York City. (laughs) Does it? Because I don't know about that. All right, so then the next day, Broderick is in like his his, um, guidance counselor's office or whatever he may be. His advisor's office. And uh, he sees Bruno Kirby walking down the street from the window. So he hops out the window and chases down Bruno Kirby, catches up to him finally, and turns out that Bruno Kirby tells him, he has a gambling problem. He lost all his money. He's sorry. He's going to help him get his money back. He's got a job that was lined up for his nephew, but he's going to give it to him. Come with me and come meet my uncle, my uncle Carmine. All right. Uncle Carmine's played by Brando. I got such a kick out of the when I first saw Brando because he's playing Don Corleone yes. again in this movie. And the entire movie. But it's on- supposed to be a spoof on it, no? No, it, the spoof never came. I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for the reveal of it was a joke that he was playing Don Corleone in this movie. That never comes. He simply reprised his role as Don Corleone, but like a much less serious Don Corleone. <laughs> like it's like it's like the you know it's, it's very the on the note. version of so Don they Corleone. notice it too, right? Broderick notices. He's like they a couple times in the movie they got go to say he looks like and then they get interrupted <laughs> so it was done well all right so back to the I, plot crazy enough godfather 3 comes out two months after this movie so they give broderick a job he's supposed to pick up a package from the airport deliver it okay they don't know what it is it turns out to be a komodo dragon right all right okay <laughs> so the fbi ends up following him 
the what they're doing with the with the endangered species that there it turns out they're like all sorts of endangered species that's being transported is they're supposedly cooking them oh it's a black food market of endangered species they're eating koalas and shit yeah so all all things like that right (laughs) so the the endangered species goes for at least two hundred thousand dollars a plate all right turns out at the end they were never actually cooking the endangered species. They just were told that they were cooking them, the people, and it was a whole scam. They run this whole like multiple switches at the end to right. get Broderick out of the investigation, get Brando out of uh, the jam that he ends up in. It was a really good movie. I thought that it was very well done. I thought that the, the Don Corleone thing was on the nose and I got to see uh, Bruno Kirby and I got to see Marlon Brando and Matthew Broderick on screen all together in a movie I never saw before and I would definitely watch it again there was only one foul note in the entire movie and it was absurd it was way out of place like really odd for it to be in the movie they have the the Komodo dragon when they're transporting it escapes gets into a mall and they have like all these slapstick scenes of the Komodo dragons on a treadmill the Komodo dragons like there's like a a, a pool bumper uh, so, car so it's thing. supposed to be like a smart comedy and then they throw in this nonsense it was like a real sour note in an otherwise very good movie yeah. All right. Well, I did do a little research on this movie, though. Sorry, I didn't mean to step all over you. No, that's all good. So, first of all, apparently Brando is kind of a dick. Yes, I read. <laughs> I read what you're going to say. But go ahead. So, so shooting went seven days longer than it was supposed to. Now, let's let's put that in perspective. This happens in movies all the time. Mm-hmm. For example, Jaws was supposed to be shot in 52 days and it took 155 days to shot to shoot, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. So a movie going 7 days over its shoot time is not that crazy. Mm-hmm. But Brando being Brando said, "Well, you got to pay me another million dollars on top of my salary for yeah. my 7 days of work." Yep. And the studio said, "No." So what did Brando do? He badmouthed this movie to every reporter he could find. So finally, the studio gave in, gave Brando his million dollars, and the next day, Brando's getting interviewed and saying, what an amazing movie this is. <laughs> Which is such a power move, yeah. because you're Brando, and like from what I read, too, he barely wanted to do this movie. He had to be pitched by the director, and he finally agreed to do it, so... I mean, he's borderline giving up on doing movies at this point in his career. By the way, do you know who the director was? Yeah, Andrew Bergman. You know what he did? Yes, he, he did. Go ahead. All right, so he only his only major directing note besides this is striptease. Did you find did you find out his writing credits? Oh, his writing credits are amazing. Phenomenal. Go ahead, I'll let you tell it. All right, so he wrote Fletch and Blazing Saddles, which I he has a lot more, but those two are the ones that stood Soap out to me. Soap Dish. The most. Do you remember Soap Dish? No, I don't. Soap dish is a treat. And he also did strip tease, which I thought was like his uh, his one strike against him. Yeah, so that I think his career kind of ended as a director there. So, um, But all right, a couple other things about Brando because like Brando is just Go ahead. so the boss. I'm intrigued. All right, so uh, Penelope Ann Miller is in this movie. Mm-hmm. And in a Brando documentary, they were asking her about this movie. And she told the story. Apparently, Brando by this time just did not give a shit, mm-hmm. did not refuse to memorize his lines, and would wear an earpiece in all of his movies. And his uh, assistant would read him his lines as he was acting. <laughs> <laughs> so Penelope Ann Miller forgot her lines one day on set, and she's sitting there like, um, um, and 
<laughs> and she goes, and Brando just turns, puts his finger against his ear and says, all right, what's her next line? And she and he tells Penelope and Miller what her next line is in the movie. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so, yeah, there's that. And then also, so Brando, Broderick, and Kirby all went out to dinner one night before they started filming. It's like, a, let's go see New York City. Yeah. While they were out to dinner, apparently John Gotti walked into the restaurant and they were like, we're filming a mobster movie. Yeah. We got to talk to John Gotti. Yeah. So Brando tried to be like, I'm Brando. I need to talk to Gotti. Yeah. What happened? Gotti told the owner of the restaurant, get them the fuck out of here because I don't want to talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I was, uh, you know what I want to do? I want to go back and watch the movie and see if I can find Brando's earpiece. <laughs> Like actually see it in filming, yeah. yeah. But I'm also Brando was still a good actor. I'm sure he was aware of it and kept that ear out of his, uh, shot. All right, so that was that was a really good that was a very good find. A right. Nice diamond in the rough. So that's something I'll have to take a look at. You should definitely watch it for All sure. Right. Coming in at number six was Navy Seals. I had never heard of this, and I'm actually surprised I never had. Uh, earned twenty five million dollars. Um, it's exactly what you would expect. It's about Navy Seals, um, starring. Directed by Louis Teague, who was also the director of Cujo. And Jewel of the Nile. Starring Charlie Sheen, Michael Bayhine, Bill Paxton, my boy, another Bill Paxton movie I'd never seen before. Uh, Navy SEAL teams on a mission to destroy a shipment of missiles that fallen into terrorist hands. I would watch it. Absolutely, would give it a look. I mean, Charlie Sheen, I, he showed in Platoon, like, he, he can do the military guy, so. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, you never hear anybody bring this up, so I doubt it was the best but That's I would give true. it a go for the cast. Um, but one interesting fact, the, the actors actually spent two weeks in intensive Navy SEAL training with actual Navy SEALs. That's cool. Um, and they actually had like a little, uh, like a Navy SEAL competition at the end. And according to the Navy SEALs, they said the actors actually did pretty good. That's good. Yeah. Um, also, Bill Paxson, is he like, at this time, was he just like the reinvention of Dabney Coleman because he's just character actor in like every movie that comes out in the early nineties. Yeah. But that was always his thing. Like he, so he's in Terminator very briefly as one of the punks gets murdered in like the first 15 minutes of the movie. It's in true lies coming up in the nineties, uh, gets murdered. Oh no, it doesn't get murdered. I apologize, but gets, gets belittled and abused mm -hmm. by Schwarzenegger yet again. Uh, he has a great role in Aliens. I love his role in Aliens. Uh, Twister, oh, another well, great role. He's the leading up. man in that movie. Yeah, I mean, the, if you think about him, like, is he going to carry a blockbuster movie? I don't know. I guess not really. Like, so Twister, I guess it's a blockbuster movie. It's as much a Helen Hunt vehicle as it is a Bill Paxton movie. And it's just as much a tornado vehicle. Yeah, it's a, it's <laughs> People more, want to see that for the tornadoes. As, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, but, but I, I mean, follow what you're saying. Bill Paxton, he's he's first rate. Yes, he. That, that's that was my point. <laughs> I'm on board. Now from now on, Bill Paxton is first rate. All right. Um, yeah, that's next, all I have to say about this movie. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> all right, next movie. One of my favorites from my childhood. Please elaborate, because I've never seen this before. Arachnophobia. Never seen it. This movie's terrible, and um, I love every second of it. I feel I feel like this movie's supposed to be terrible. It is supposed to be terrible. It's a it's a it's a horror comedy. Is this like along the lines of like one eight legged freaks? Remember that? 
I do remember that, but it's not so much like that because it kind of like is serious, but also they joke about the fact that it's just spiders. Okay. Um, so a species of South American killer spiders hitches a lift to the United States in a coffin and starts to breed and kill. Okay. Um, basically, it's just a small town overrun by spiders. Uh, John Goodman's the <laughs> he, he's the uh, the. Over the top exterminator. Exterminator. Uh, Jeff Daniels is the main character. Um, there's really nobody else in this movie, but it's it's a fun watch. I enjoyed it. Um, I got to watch it again. I haven't seen it in like 10 years, but. Directed by, this is important, Frank Marshall. Directed Alive, directed Congo. More importantly. Stop eating my sesame cake. 138 producing credits, including Raiders of the Lost Ark. Ooh, I this man is catch a, that. This man is a staple in Hollywood. He does a lot of work with Spielberg. I saw his producing credits and I, like there were so many that I didn't even look at them. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I know the name from having watched documentaries and such. So. All right. All right. Uh, next up, Problem Child, uh, grossing $53 million and change. Uh, I would imagine most people are familiar with this movie. John Ritter, Jack Warden, Gilbert Gottfried, Michael Richards, who is Kramer. And uh, Michael Oliver, who's the child in the movie. Gilbert Gottfried, another Long Island boy. Is he? Where's he from? Oh, you're going to love this. He graduated with Uncle Mickey. Get out of here. Yes, sir. From, wh- from, from where? From Uniondale High School. That's crazy. Yeah. I didn't know that. I don't think they knew each other at big school, but still. All right. Well, he was <laughs> there. Um, all right. So uh, the, the plot of the movie is very simple. Oh, wait. I'll take that back. He was supposed to graduate with Uncle Mickey, but Uncle Mickey got left back in first grade. So he graduated a year ahead of Uncle Mickey. <laughs> all right. <laughs> they adopt a quote unquote problem child and then hilarity ensues. Yeah. I mean. That's the whole plot of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I remember being a kid. I think about this movie and I just think of the girl's birthday party. And him just yeah. throwing all the presents and, uh, in the pool. I cr- with I cry if I want to playing in the background. <laughs> and she's crying the whole time. Yes. <laughs> I thought that was actually pretty well done. It was amazing. This movie was amazing, if I remember correctly. I mean, I was 12 <laughs> the last time I saw it. But yeah. um, I do want to just say, though, did you know? So the, the writers, they, they called out the writers. Like Hollywood said, like, this was – I want to get this right. Um, they said the first movie was in bad taste. That's what the critics said about what the writers wrote. So the writers, you know what they did? Double down. They wrote Problem Child too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Also directed by um, Dennis Dugan. Duggan? Dugan, I would imagine. Uh, he does a lot of work with Sandler. Yeah, so yeah, he, he does he direct, Sandler movies. Directed Happy Gilmore, Big Daddy, Saving Silverman, which is not a, a Sandler flick. Uh, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, the Zohan movie, whatever the stupid title of that is. Grown Ups. Uh, Grown Ups, Grown Ups 2, Just Go With It, Jack and Jill, which... <laughs> Recently on vacation with our family, I got to see parts of Jack and Jill. I, I don't know. It. I can't tell if I was <laughs> was entertained or shocked by what I was seeing. Well, I'm going to move on because I've never seen it and I have no interest. All right. I'll move on. Um, he also directed uh, Chris Farley's worst movie. Beverly Hills Ninja. Yeah, yeah I left that one out because yeah. I didn't I didn't want to badmouth Farley. Yeah, love Farley. But th- that was the end of Farley. Well, he actually he did well. I think that was the end. There, wasn't no, it? he did uh, almost heroes was oh, his last movie. Oh. I actually all right. Now, granted, I was like thirteen when it came you out. Liked it. I loved it. I, I loved can't it. tell you the last time I saw it. So <laughs> badgers with hands the size of frying pans. I don't know. Right, but this is a thing. It's a quote when I was a kid. <laughs> we'll huh? get to that in nineteen ninety eight. All right. <laughs> 
All right. So coming in at number three is Presumed Innocent, grossed $86 million. Carolyn Paul Hamas was murdered last night. Some creep got into a place somehow and strangled her. It looks like she was raped. Rusty, I want you to handle this case personally. You're the only one around here I can trust. Just catch me a bad guy. You're in charge of this investigation? There were 150 lawyers down there. They couldn't find one who didn't sleep with her. Find out which of the creeps she put away is out on parole. She's dead. And you're still obsessing. You were in Carolyn's apartment the night she was killed. We've got the fingerprint results. There's a call from your house to hers that night. This is absurd. Go ahead, play cool. I know. You killed her. You're the guy. Why didn't you tell me about you and Carolyn? This is my life. We're not talking about some gossip. But indeed, you will go to trial. You're still in love with her. So let's talk about Presumed Innocent. All right, who's in this movie? Harrison Ford plays Rusty Sabich. Who's Harrison Ford? <laughs> you might have seen some of his movies. <laughs> All right, so Brian Dennehy, who he always plays a good role. Uh, he's, he's a plays, good supporting actor. Yeah, and plays Raymond Horgan. The uh, angry Raymond Horgan. <laughs> yes. Bonnie Badia. Who is Holly McLean? She's Holly McLean. She also plays Harrison Ford's wife in this movie, Barbara Sabich. She plays the wife of the main character of two of the top three movies this month. She does. <laughs> and then Bradley Whitford. Do you know who Bradley Whitford is? No, I don't. Okay, so he's Eric Gordon in Billy Madison. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's also in um, oh, don't Handmaid's Tale. Tale. Why do you got to do it? Yeah. Because he was struggling. I was and I there. Wanted to, I, was I wanted there. to know it first. It was the Handmaid's Tale. Also... I know that you didn't catch this, and I'm so happy. I'm so proud of myself for catching this. The Sun, Harrison Ford. Oh no, son. I caught this. He's in. Um, don't do not say it. Do I won't not say it. say it. He's in that cheerleader movie. Um, oh my God! Not Bring It On. It's the other one. I have no idea. Oh, what movie is it? Is it Bring It On? I. You should look it up. But while you embarrass yourself with Bring It On, I'm oh, gonna- and Swim Fan. I'm going to say something that's much more up my alley. He's one of the two brothers in My Blue Heaven. Mm. How do you like that catch? That's a great catch because I missed that part of it. But I just recognize his face. from It was Bring It On, by the way. Okay. Well, I'm glad you, you worked that out for yourself. <laughs> All right. So the plot's very simple. Harrison Ford's a prosecuting attorney. A co-worker gets murdered. He gets framed for it. Um, and the reason why he gets framed for it is because he stumbled upon a bribery file when he was digging through the murdered co-workers files that she was, she was working on before she got murdered. So no, you're wrong. Okay. The the whole bribery, the B file was a complete coincidence. So then what was he being set up for? He wasn't being set up for anything like at all the... Everything pointed at him. The beer glass with his the beer yeah the beer glass with his fingerprints. Uh, the fact that he had a romantic relationship. Uh, the fact that all the phone calls to her house and from her house to his house. I remember. I all right. Remember. So we're gonna get to how this all comes out, but you don't know that right away. So you think he's being framed because of the B file, the whole movie. And this is why I love this movie, and I think you might like it a little bit more now. No, no, but also that's not, you're not exactly right because he's being framed by somebody else who doesn't have, yes, he is. 
at no point is he being framed by anyone but the actual killer. Oh, uh, because the beer glass? Because and the of the beer glass. fibers and, and all the, that shit? And his semen inside her vagina. Well, yeah, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you're right. Yeah, I am right, and that's why this movie's amazing. No, so, yes, no, and I'm gonna I lay disagree. it. Out. I'm gonna lay it down for you right now. I still disagree. But first ahead. of all, Harrison Ford played this movie so remarkably well, and I'm going to tell you why. Please, okay? Because the whole first 45 minutes of this movie, I was like, "What is Harrison Ford? He's mailing in this role. He's so emotionless. He's so he's so blank. What is this performance? It was all on purpose. So Harrison." Ford did this all on purpose. He was he was playing this whole like dead inside person because this woman he's obsessed with. Yeah, then he says you always had the cork in too tight. Right. Okay. Just passed away. Right. Yeah. Or just murdered. Yep. And he 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 sees it. He's a lawyer. He sees that the everything's pointing at him. Yeah. And he just doesn't know how to react to it yeah. until finally Dennehy says he's going to sell him out. And when Dennis Dennehy says, I'm selling you out, I'm saying that you were the one who wanted this case and it was you that yeah. fought for it and all that. Which was a then lie. all of a sudden, Ford just explodes. And from that moment on, there's nothing but passion and great acting from this man. Well, I, I completely agree with you there. I have multiple references to his acting and how he plays a scene. But one of the things that bothered me was when they talk about the judge, right? The judge... I felt was extremely reasonable and level-headed, all except for the fact that he let in the evidence of, for the glass that they never found. Other than that, they try and they take it back. They but bring it he back. He didn't and let forth. the evidence in. He he let the evidence in with the caveat that they understand you can't. There's no physical evidence being presented, and he made the jurors have to take that into account. Right. Okay. At the, uh, again, but the evidence my, existed. That, again, to my point of being level-headed. Okay? okay, but also, they, so when they go and they shake down the the drug dealer, whatever he was, right in his apartment, the black guy, right? Okay, and he's Noel, which even though yeah. it was spelt Noel, Leon. and they called him Noel, and then they flip it and it's Leon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So anyway, he says that the the judge was on the take and that he's a terrible person, but we, the judge that we see, is very level headed and reasonable. They explain that all at the end of the movie about what that about he, the judge what and what happened, happened and and what his life and what he was going through. Look. Right, this movie sold it hard. That the whole idea of him being dead inside had me thinking the entire time that he was guilty. And then when Denny he says he's going to flip on him, I believe that it was because he was pissed that Denny he was going to flip on him, not because he was actually innocent. All right, so look, let's let's get into a couple of things. So number 1, Harrison which Bro, we I should, thought he was guilty till he was fixing that damn fence. Uh, okay, listen. Harrison Ford slept with the woman who dies. Fell in love with her. It's really important to the story. It ends up that the girl who was the, the other prosecuting prosecuting attorney that he worked with, she was murdered. He had an affair with her and he couldn't let it go. But this woman seemed to have done that to multiple people, including the judge. Right. Including Dennehy. And including Brian Dennehy's character. This, so this woman was all She was over. leaving, yeah, awake in her trail, right? Yeah. Okay. She was she was trying to get ahead by sleeping with everybody. So, and then that's the person that this girl was. So that's how we end up with everybody being mad at, at or at least Ford and Dennehy being mad at one another eventually, right? Okay, that that's fine. I'm fine with that. And I'm fine with Dennehy. So Dennehy also lost the, ca the, the position of whatever he was, district attorney, I believe he was. 
Well, he lost an election. He so lost he, the election, yeah. and he was mad at Ford for not helping him in the fashion that he requested. So that's why he flipped on him. Right. I'm okay with that. And then Ford, the way he played it, where he started to really turn it on, you well, know, a third on. into the movie. But also, Denny, he didn't just flip on him for that. So this is the part where it's kind of like he's framing him, but Denny, he was involved with the B file. So like he 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 can't let it out that the B file was a problem. He's trying to hide that, which is why he flips on Ford. Okay. But he's not framing Ford for the murder. He's just trying to make him look stupid because he doesn't want the B file getting out. That's fine. One of the things that I wanted to bring up too was as far as Ford doing well, um, then he tells Harrison Ford that he's a good man in his office when they're having drinks together. And then Ford has this look on his face that it's of... Like like somebody's talking to you, but you're not paying attention because you have so much on your mind and you're stressed out and you have you're anxious and it showed all in one facial expression that he was conflicted by what's going on and that Dennis Dennis he just said that he was a good man being called a good man and like he had all this internal dialogue leading and just you, in one look on his face leading you to believe he was guilty. I don't know if that's what I felt, but right. I felt that Harrison Ford was doing a damn good job on yes. screen. And he always does, except for in the new Star Wars movies. But I so- also so I liked a lot of this movie. A lot of it I liked. Like I, the so the director also I felt did well to make you feel uncomfortable by ha- having Ford's wife on screen and just seemed to be taking all this on the chin. Like this is like a topic that she definitely didn't want to be talking about, and now all of this is unfolding in front of her, and she's just taking it all on the chin and doing her best to like be a good sport about it. Yeah, but she's also throwing digs at him too. I mean, at one point she says this line. She's all, he gets home and she's all like sweaty and out of breath. And he's like, oh, what are you exercising? And to her response is masturbation, refuse of a ho- of a lonely housewife. You know, like, like there's always constant digs at, at being thrown at Harrison Ford because she knows but I feel like that that's he's well, sleeping with this woman. I feel like that's well played though. Well written. Yeah, well acted. Well directed because... That would be real life. Right. But she's also standing behind her man. Yes. Right. And I agree. So and we're in agreement on that. Yes. Yeah. I liked a lot of this movie. I liked that. I wrote down that I really took interest in the movie once we got to the trial. I was The movie was dragging until we got to the trial. The trial and definitely then, picked then up. Then the movie was lit on fire. Every interrogation scene was just, like I said, I've used the word already twice now, riveting. The like de- I was locked in yeah. every person that they're interrogating. They're, uh, his defense... Sandy, whatever his name was, I thought he did a great job. His defense attorney. Oh, absolutely. The whole mo- the whole scene with the motion for dismissal. I, I kid you not. I've never. I don't remember doing this before. I like sat up on the edge of my seat and was like literally tense. Like, wait, are they about to dismiss this case? Are they about to? Dis-? And I was like surprised that he motioned for that dismissal and accepted it. Well, look, I, I just didn't like the ending. So the tell, explain the ending. See, I thought the ending was fantastic. I, no, I know you I, said you had it figured out from the beginning. No, but- I didn't. This, this, I didn't see this coming. I had the the entire movie. I could have told you what was going to happen. Except for the very end. So the motion for the dismissal of the case, they they dismiss it. The judge dismisses it. And then Harrison Ford asks his lawyer in privacy when they're having a drink celebrating the dismissal of the case. What The judge was involved with the B case, right? The B file, right? And then the, 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 the lawyer, I thought it was great how he played. He's like, we're going to talk tonight. And then will never be spoken of again. And I thought he, he, he was so cool and calm. This lawyer was fantastic. Yeah. And... 
Harrison Ford says he was innocent. And you, you can kind of see the lawyer doesn't really believe him, but he looks at him and he says, well, the judge, and he explains how the judge was going through a hard time in his life. His wife left him, going through a nasty divorce, um, lost a lot of money gambling and things like that, and got involved with some, you know, taking bribes from low-level criminals to help, like, get him through a tough time. And he recruited the the woman that got murdered to yeah. be like the person that set up because she was a parole officer at the time to set up all these, um, these briberies. Yeah. And he said that he doesn't do that anymore. And that, you know, this isn't that he's a good man and a good judge. And he's someone who did what he thought was right for the criminal justice system in letting Harrison Ford walk. Yeah. So that's how they explain away the judge and granted it's all exposition and maybe they could have done it better, but it made sense. Okay. Then you fast forward. Harrison Ford's on the boat with his detective friend, who yep. actually turns out he had the glass the he whole stole time. It. Well, he didn't steal it. He didn't never returned it because it wasn't requested from him. Right. So he did Ford a favor. He gives it to Ford. He thinks Ford's guilty. Yep. And Ford won't answer him if he is or isn't. And Ford throws the glass in the water, and that's the end of that. Yep. Fast forward again. Now he's Ford, at home. At home, fixing he's his, on fence. his fence, and he's using his hammer. The hammer breaks, and he goes and he has to take out. A, the other hammer. I, it wasn't a hammer. It was like a it weird, was like a uh, hammer hatchet, like a wonder bar with a hatchet. Yeah, yeah. With yeah. a hatchet attached to it, right? Yeah. So, and he sees uh, the hair and the blood on it. Yep. Doesn't really react to it, and he kind of just like brushes it with his. Thumb. Which I was pissed off at because I thought it was Ford. Now, and now I wrote on my paper. Yes, I knew it. He did it. <laughs> Then he goes in and he's washing it, which only in the basement confirms that yeah, he has no reaction to it. No reaction. Further confirms that he's the murderer. Right. And all of a sudden, his wife shows up and he just shows shows her the weapon. Yep. And she just starts. They go upstairs and she and then she just spills everything. She lays out the whole plan. How she uh, switched out his glasses because one night because. she knew he had a beer and had her finger, his yeah, fingerprints. Yeah, and she, she had given – they had given the, her, the other woman, uh, the glasses as a gift one right. time. She knew that. And yeah. She was saving his sperm. and it, Okay, so here's my point because now the plot's explained, right? Well, you know what I feel this is like? This is like a, a recipe. You made a good sauce and then you fucked with it. You added more garlic. You added more – onion you added more sugar and you ruined the recipe because i was fine with this movie the way it was before we got to the scene where ford was fixing his fence at the end the boat was done go home to your wife everybody lives happily ever after fine no then somebody felt that wasn't enough so we need a twist now it's going to be ford wait no it's not ford you didn't see this the whole entire time no i know you want to say something hold it you because you didn't see anything about the wife the entire time and all of a sudden she's the oh i'm the the the, i'm the mastermind behind the whole entire thing and i planned this and i set you up and the whole movie she's throwing digs at him and then she's mad that's fine but right let me finish my thought twice she offers to give to to testify and when she's offering to testify that's her wanting to confess to what actually happened then 
at the end. Or was she going to throw him under the bus? No, because she, she was, set him up. She was going to testify because she even says it in her big reveal that the whole time she was going to come clean when, when oh, she yeah, took yeah, the yeah. stand. Yeah. Then, but the whole time she's revealing her master plan, she's dead. She's, <laughs> she's dead inside. Yep. Like absolutely dead. She's a psychopath. This whole affair has ruined her as a human being. She's a complete incapable of empathy 100% psychopathic, sociopath, murdering, crazy, lunatic woman. Okay. Well, we're going to agree to disagree because I think that it should have stopped after the boat scene and should have gone home happily ever after. I didn't need the twist that now maybe it's Ford. No, it's definitely the wife. I didn't need it. It was stupid. That's it. I see a good movie without the twist. Yes. Let that, it be Ford. Let him throw. Let Even let it be no, Ford. Let him let, him, let, let him. let me not know who murdered her. I don't care who murdered the girl. I had no emotional, inve- nothing emotional invested in this woman and what happened to her. My only concern was with Ford and that he got off because he was innocent. Uh, That's it. All right. Agree to disagree like you said. All right. Coming in at number two. How much did it gross? Die Hard 2. Die harder. Die harder. We're going to not just die. We're going to die harder. Um, Die Hard 2 coming in at number two with $240 million. Emergencies. We are in a code yellow. Instrument landing system is down. Backup systems won't come up. Every system's dead. These guys shut us down. Attention all controllers. We have a code red alert. We just bought maybe two hours. After that, those planes low on fuel aren't going to be circling. They're going to be dropping on the White House lawn. I want every officer recalled and assembled in body armor with full weaponry in the motor pool in five minutes. It's time to kick it. Alan's what team's gone. Well, maybe they're just a little bit more creative than you think. Start looking for a new miracle. Who the hell is this? We don't need a loose cannon on this deck. You get the hell out of my office before I throw you out of my damn airport. You're the wrong guy in the wrong place at the wrong time. Story of my life. They say lightning doesn't strike twice. I spent Christmas last year. They were wrong. McLean? Is this what you were expecting? Nah, this is just the beginning. Bruce Willis, Die Hard 2. Die Harder. Does Die Hard 2, Die Harder just scream we don't really care about this movie? Well, but the whole idea is, though, that wasn't part of the original title. Yeah, well, it was it was the original tagline, and then when it was released on DVD in 2006 and Blu-ray in 2007, they added to the title sequence "Die Hard 2, Die Harder." Because I know, because then they started all those other. They had Die Hard with a Vengeance. They had the other. No, two, no, no, no. no they only sense. had Die Hard one, two, and three. I don't know what you're talking about well, after that. Let me tell you, this movie was. I I couldn't get into it. No, I was very bored. It was. It's this movie is background noise. That's yeah. it. And I at best, I, if it's on, I'm looking for something better. Like his one liners weren't even good. I didn't even find one good one liner. Mm, yeah, mean, I have the best one, but we'll get to that. So who's in it? Bruce Willis, of course. Uh, Bonnie Badia again is playing Holly McLean. Um, the T1000 from Terminator 2. 
Just I don't remember his guy name. Guy with but, the slick back hair. I have yeah. no idea what his name is right now, but uh, he's in it, and uh, he has a minimal role. Reginald Bell Johnson's in it for all of three minutes again, and then you have a, a William couple. William Atherton. There you go. William Atherton, who plays the news reporter, the one that everyone hates. Okay. He plays a great dick. Yeah. Like, really good. He was in Ghostbusters. Yeah. Uh, he's the one they referred to as Dickless. That's why he plays <laughs> a great dick. Yeah. So the plot... Very simple. John McClane caught in an airport. His wife, Holly's on a plane to come and meet him. And uh, it just so happens that a bunch of American soldiers and mercenaries are trying to free a general from South America. Yeah. You don't so, know what country South American. So so McClane gets caught up in this mess that he doesn't want to be in. So then we were saying to each other, like, why couldn't he just bail? But the only reason that he couldn't bail is because his, his wife, wife is on the plane. plane. So he has to that's caught it. up in this mess. He's so. the only person that could solve the situation. Without that plot point, there you don't need a movie. Because right. if Holly wasn't on a plane and there was this mess going on, he could just like throw his hands up in the air and be like, well, not my problem. See you later. I would argue that if he had just done that anyway, they everything would have been, been fine off. and nobody would have died. Yeah, just let so the, the general guy be gets free. away. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> McLean <laughs> we'll didn't need to later. save the day. <laughs> All right. So there's the plot. Director, Rennie Harlan. Uh, his second movie of the month. Okay. So... IMDb has him listed as the most successful finished film director in the history of Hollywood. Now, wait, because there's a lot of duality in that one sentence. Number one, as you mentioned before, how many finished film directors do we really have? I mean, let's be honest. There's like 300 people in all of Finland. Right. I mean, I think that's historically accurate. Absolutely. Okay. Number two, understand this. No, this man... While he made this movie and a couple of other mediocre movies, he also made a movie by the name of Cutthroat Island. Now, Cutthroat Island is a movie that lost about $80 million. Lost $80 million. And what was the repercussions of him losing $80 million? (laughs) He bankrupt Carol Co. Production Company single-handedly. Like a huge 80s movie production company. I feel like IMDb's description of this man is not exactly accurate. It's like, I could have been as successful as him. I'm just not from Finland, so... I could have easily lost $80 million (laughs) making a movie. It sounds like it's not that hard to do. I mean, most movies don't even cost $80 million to make. I think that... I think it's one of those things where if you set out to be that unsuccessful you might fail at being that bad it's like uh the guy who directed the room who wrote directed and started tommy wiseau he tried so hard to make the worst movie ever made he failed miserably (laughs) the movie's amazing all right so all right so it's just some do we want to just talk about some stuff in this movie look i have very few notes if any from this movie same my one question to you is why was there steam everywhere i was gonna say that's my best role in the movie is the steam Yeah. Yes. Look, he's in the back room where there's a conveyor it's belt. It's conveyor belt. It's only conveyor belts. No, there's it's, nothing else back there. Nothing's running on steam. No. Yet it looks there's like there's no heating fixtures. Looks, there's nothing. It's just it, conveyor it, belts. It looks like he's in the boiler room from Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three, where there's steam pouring out of everything. But just conveyor belts. But 
I'm unaware of any conveyor belt system that runs on steam power. If there is a conveyor belt system that runs on steam, they need to upgrade their system immediately. There's a lot of leaks in it. Yeah, and that's something, right? So if things are running on steam, why is it all spraying aimlessly amongst this entire airport? You'd think that you would want to contain all the steam to use it as an efficient power. And like... But it's literally everywhere. No matter where he goes in this movie, there's steam. He's in the air vents, steam. He's in the conveyor belt, steam. He's down in the basement, there's steam. steam. And He's I was with the custodian, steam. Then I po- oh, by the way, the custodian. Yes, the singular custodian of this entire airport. <laughs> Who has the blueprints for some reason of the entire airport. Uh, and then I was wondering at the end of the movie why the airplanes weren't steam powered. <laughs> I don't know how to react to that. All right, so this whole movie's absurd, right? But that's okay. I'm all right with the movie being absurd. But it has to, like, have some... It has to try. This yeah, doesn't, this doesn't try. try at all. All right, so the whole movie starts out with William Sadler, who actually plays Death in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. It's the only other role I know him from. Um, the movie starts out with him doing Tai Chi naked for about, I don't know, 45 seconds to a minute and a half. I don't know how long it was, but just Why? Yeah, completely unnecessary. So that's how the movie starts. So it's like, just, you're not trying because that's not showing me anything about this guy. Also, I thought that the plot point of, I just thought it was a a really far way to go to say that, um, you know, the, the mercenaries, they weren't mercenaries. They were whatever sort of branch of the army, special forces nonsense that they put in there are in on it. And they're shooting blanks at each other. They're going to go through... Like, who are they fooling? Like, who did they have to hide from there? Yeah. At that point, it's just John McClane. Yeah, that's it. You're (laughs) you're putting on a show, a dog and pony show, so John McClane doesn't know that you're with the bad guys? Yeah. And also, let's just talk about John McClane. I love John McClane in the first Die Hard because he just stumbles upon and into everything, right? That That's the whole... I, I, I want to preface this whole thing, though, with saying that Die Hard, the original... Is an amazing movie. Love it. That's another one of these movies where we went to see in theaters. And and recently, and it, it also you don't get anymore this type of movie. This type of I'm the badass. I'm gonna save the day. Single hand. You don't get that type of movie right. anymore. But like in the Die Hard, the whole premise is that John McClane just stumbles into this nonsense. Well, right. The, the real point of Die Hard was that it was the first time that it, an anti superhero type of guy, an anti Schwarzenegger type of guy, like he's just an everyday. Cop. Right. He but was the hero of the movie. My point is he stumbles into it, though. It's not like he figures something out. He eventually figures something out. But the whole hit the bad guys. But he didn't intend to right. save the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In this movie, he's sitting there smoking a cigarette in the airport, and he just happens to see a guy lean over and sees a gun and immediately determines that this guy is going to hijack the entire airport. Yeah. I, I don't know how he goes. The whole idea is, like, this. I do like that he, at one point in the movie, has the self-realization of... It's completely ridiculous for this to happen to him again. Which is my most quotable line. <laughs> he says, man, I don't believe this. Another basement, another elevator. How can the same shit happen to the same guy twice? Right. And the only quote worth it in this movie, because this whole thing is just 
horrendous. They have the, the worst SWAT team ever. There's 13 SWAT team guys coming after three guys in a separate part of the, oh. the airport. Well, yeah, but I'll accept that in a good movie, though. I, I feel you because I, I just I have really nothing else to say about this movie except for it just completely falls flaw, flat. About, what about the, so Carmine, the 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 police captain, you, whatever, you mean whatever, Captain Yell? He just yelled the Everybody. entire movie, just always screaming and hates John McClane. Hates, hates him <laughs> but, until the very end, where all of a sudden John McClane pretends to shoot him with the blanks. Yeah, you that was the most absurd scene not in the one entire other movie. Cop pulls a trigger on him as he's shooting this these blanks no, everywhere. They, so so uh, uh, clarify because this is going to be my worst scene he pulls out uh, an uzi whatever the gun was specifically i don't know an automatic gun that has a clip full of blanks pulls it out and aims and shoots at the police captain there's a half a dozen at least other cops and people around that all pull their guns draw their guns and point them at mclean and while he's letting off these these blanks right, that they nobody don't know else blanks. nobody else knows their blanks except him nobody else pulls the trigger on mclean Come on, bro. Yeah. All right. <sighs> Whatever. Yeah. All right. So that's your worst scene. Are, are we doing categories? Let's yeah, just we're dive there. into we're it. We're there. We're there. Uh, my worst scene is um, at the end when the, the the general lands the plane. Yeah. And McLean jumps into the plane. And <laughs> actually, first, the general starts walking out and goes, Freedom. McLean punches him in the face and just goes, not yet. <laughs> that was actually pretty good. That was good. It's a very John McLean-esque moment. Yeah. But then the, the colonel, the general runs away and they start shoot. The other guys are outside the plane now and they're shooting at John. And his men. And they shoot out the windows and then we got three grenades each. Use them all. And they all throw their grenades in. And I made you stop the movie and time it. Yep. From the time the first grenade lands inside the plane to when he fucking ejects himself with an ejector seat from the plane. Can I also add, he ejected himself in the ejector seat from the plane without strapping himself into the no, seatbelt. No, he did. He, no, he just held on to the seatbelt. He didn't strap himself in. Oh, I missed it. Yeah. So go All ahead. Right. So I had you record how much time there was from the first grenade falling into the plane mm -hmm. to him ejecting. And? How much time was it? I forget. 28 seconds. Which is way too many the, seconds, I believe, right? That completely defeats the use of a grenade. Also, I, I got to tell you, ironically, and only for the uh, the irony in it, that my favorite scene might be the nude Tai Chi by the colonel in the hotel. <laughs> it was so completely ridiculous and unnecessary that you you had to laugh at it. Yeah. Okay, so I, I don't got, have a best scene. I got best scene, worst scene out of the way. My best scene and my best actor, are this or best performance best role the steam all right <laughs> they're the best thing in this one all right so i'm gonna take best they did their job I, i'm gonna take best role in this one as thornberg the 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 um reporter because he was a complete piece of shit oh he plays a piece of shit great and uh, clearly you can't i mean maybe he's that sort of person in but real life but he, he played the role plays perfectly. a great reporter that i hate yeah you love to hate him yeah. love to hate him Agreed. so you know what i changed it i'm with you i think i think everybody else kind of phoned it in i think i think that aside from bruce willis nobody else was really given much to do you know who i didn't hate was the uh the leader of the not the the special forces whatever they were 
Yeah, uh, I know. The black yeah. guy. Yeah. Like, he was good. John was Amos fine. played Grant. Yeah. He yeah. was fine. Yeah. He did a good job, but he took, he seemed to take the role seriously. Right. Because everyone else was half assing it. He seemed to put on a performance, and I believed him that he was good. Then all of a sudden he turned and he was bad. And like, he it, played a good, he great. plays a good hard ass, and that's what the role was. It was so. good. Yeah. Uh, so outside of that, uh, what do we have next? Worst uh, actor. Worst actor. Worst role. Sorry. Worst role was definitely the the Carmine guy. My God. I'll take that. I mean, the yelling. I didn't. Oh, you know who else I liked? Who? Uh, the old lady. No, she was great too. But <laughs> the guy who, <laughs> the black guy that was the uh, in the in the air con- air, air control tower. Oh. He yeah. was good too. He was another one that was really trying to put on a good performance. Yeah. Uh Bondi Curtis Hall. Bondi is his name. I enjoyed him. He and said he, things funny and it made me laugh. Well, that's what funny things do. Yeah. All right. So worst role, I don't know. I mean, I think Holly McLean, I I she, she I found her annoying this time. Yeah, but Carmine just yelled. Okay, he could and be then, yours. Then, I could have a his, different than one. Then his brother. And then they're all three of them are sitting in the front now, seat. That was a great seat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, towards the end of the movie, they all get in the, the police car. Two big guys and McLean are sitting all in the front seat of the police car. <laughs> but it's car. a callback to the cop that wrote him the ticket and towed his car. And they're all ready to like get on their horse and charge. And they get five feet and slam into a cab. Which was there the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it kind of came out of nowhere, but you saw it the whole time. It was a big yellow cab. Anyway. Right. Most quotable line. I might give it to the old lady in the plane when she's talking about the taser. Oh. And then she goes, I tried it on my little dog. Poor thing limped for a week. <laughs> I liked right before that, she goes, I used to carry around ma- those mace things. Now I zap those bastards. <laughs> and she takes out the taser. <laughs> also, I know it's 1990, but were you allowed to bring a taser onto an airplane? No. I doubt that. All right. So I think my favorite part of this entire discovery of Die Hard 2, which obviously I've seen it multiple times, was that Rennie Harlan bankrupt Carol Co. <laughs> For me, it was the steam. All right. Can we move on? Because I want to be done with this. Sure. All right. All right. Coming in at number one, earning an astounding, and I mean astounding, $517 million. Yeah. I tried to look it up. This is like uh, three or four, number three or four or five, somewhere in that ballpark of top grossing movies of 1990. Listen, anytime you make over half a billion dollars, you did something right. And this is... This was in theaters for six months. Six months. Well, that was what happened back then. I know. I wish things like that still happened. Yeah. Right, unfortunately, anyway. it's... You know, did we say the name of the movie? No, it's Ghost. Seems like uh, whenever anything good in my life happens, I'm just afraid I'm going to lose it. I really love you. What do you want? Somebody! Somebody! Somebody help us! Ah! What's happening? It's like I think about you every minute. I can still feel you. The problem with you is you still think you're real. It's all up here now. You want to move something, you got to move it with your mind. 
Molly, why can't you hear me? Who is that? You can hear me? Can you hear me? Sam Wheat, say my name, say it. Leave me alone! I get a message from Sam. What? Sam Wheat? He asked me to call. Once you go to police, he said it was a setup. He was murdered. She said Sam knew who killed him. Are you out of your mind? I mean, what are you going to tell the police? She knew things, private things. I know about the green underwear that you wrote your name on. Well, this psychic woman's got a record that goes back a long way. Don't you see? I'm not a fake. I don't know what's real anymore. Don't open the damn door. He's a murderer. Why are you doing this to me? You hear me? Why are you doing this to me? Sam's dead. Tell her I love her. He says he loves you. Sam would never say that. You gotta take all your anger, all your love, all your hate, and then let it explode. Molly? Molly, you in danger, girl. All right, so we're going to have a battle here because apparently I did not enjoy this movie. I can't believe you didn't enjoy this movie. I have. There's a reason it earned half a billion dollars. Yeah, there's a reason it earned half a billion dollars because Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore are in it. And it's a love story. All right, so we're going we're gonna to talk about this. All right, first off, let me start by saying this. I realize that I'm not the biggest Swayze fan. How's that? That's fine. He's, he's got, he has one role that I adore him in, and it's because I love the movie, and uh, clearly it's Bodie in Point Break. Right. Other than that, uh, Dirty Dancing, don't really like the movie. Well, that Roadhouse, movie. not sure if I like the movie. What <sighs> else has he done? All right. What's the plot? Let's start there. All right. The plot is uh, a banker and his girlfriend live by a house or an apartment, an expensive apartment in New York City. They go to see a play. He gets killed. Uh, his friend set him up. It turns out in the end, his friend set him up because he's coked out trying to feed his coke fund. And <laughs> it's 1990. Yeah, everybody's on coke. Uh, and he needs to let you, his girlfriend know that the people are still after his bankroll numbers because they're in the house. He needs, and yeah, he needs passwords so he could access the funds to transfer the funds or some, so the something whole, along those lines. The whole idea is he needs to find a way to commune with his girlfriend and let her know that these people are still after those things and he's trying to protect her. All right. So look. Swayze plays Sam Wheat. Demi Moore plays Molly Jensen. Tony Goldwyn plays Carl Bruner. He's the bad guy. Vincent Schiavelli, the subway ghost. Maybe arguably my... No, definitely my second favorite person um, in, in this movie. And Whoopi Goldberg. Without Whoopi, this movie's a train wreck. I agree 100% with that. But then you can't say that it's a train wreck... With her, because I think the movie works with her. Okay. She brings everything together. She makes this movie work. She's the only entertaining part of this entire movie. Look, all right, so let's start with this. First opening scene. Who demos their house without their shirt? Who demos a house full of whatever dust that is I, I that's think, white? I think what we're learning in this particular month is that shirtless men with abs were a selling point for movies. <laughs> I mean, it's back-to-back movies right here. Where we have bare-chested men all over the screen, right? Both of these movies made over $200 million. This one made over $500 million. Whatever. Then you got the cliche 90s yuppies in their Manhattan loft because... Right. So this whole, the whole opening scene of the movie, I even wrote like there's, there's 
too much going on. I don't get the scene in the elevator. Why are they pretending to be sick? What are they trying to do? They're talking about expensive cars. Fine. I get that part. But like, what are you trying to do with the, the elevator scene where they're pretending to be sick and scaring people? I didn't get it. Also, it doesn't play well in 2020 with a pandemic. <laughs> oh, does it not? <laughs> um, like, I get that. that, that like, the, the, you could have made them to be that's the buddy bankers easy in a, in a better way well that's supposed to show all oh, we're buddy buddy we're good friends and then his best friend screws him over by you know, in stealing whatever money out it's of his fair, account but there are other ways to go about doing also that. what about the idiocy of Swayze's character who can't figure out oh I gave you my password to my accounts yesterday now today I'm missing four million dollars I have no idea what happened. What could, where could that money have gone? But to be fair, if I gave you my bank numbers and my money went missing, I, my first thought wouldn't be that Kevin Barton stole them. But would it be maybe, bro, did you mess something up in my accounts? Let's go through that. Fair. Okay, moving on. <laughs> I want to go right now to the iconic scene because I want to throw up all over the scene. Okay? It's ridiculous from start to finish. First off, Demi Moore's an artist in her Manhattan loft. So let's start yeah, there. But her boyfriend's the rich banker, so no, we can I explain start, that away. No, why does she have to be an artist? Why can't nobody's anything different in 1990? Because if she's There's not only bankers and artists in Manhattan lofts. Because if she's not an artist, then they can't have the. You can't jerk off the pottery. Right. Exactly. Okay. So stop. <laughs> Let me go back. So I want to please. Why are you so mad about? This? I'm angry at this movie. I, this movie does not deserve the credit that it gets. Okay. So Swayze wakes up in the middle of the night. He comes down shirtless, fine. Shirtless, fine. But in fucking jeans? He's wearing jeans. It's one o'clock in the morning. Who wakes up in the middle of the night and puts on jeans to come downstairs? It's the first thing he found in his dark bedroom. No, unacceptable. Okay? So then we all know that they're making pottery, right? She's making pottery. He comes down. He sits behind her. I've never seen something that... There's no symbolism here. They're literally jerking off the clay and making it look well, like that, a dick but that's the symbolism that's not symbolism they're stroking it <laughs> because bro. they don't actually show them having sex so like that's supposed to be them having sex i was so uncomfortable that's i would have i would have been more comfortable watching them have actual intercourse than watching them stroke this clay penis <laughs> what's next all right. I will I will accept that before Whoopi Goldberg comes on screen the movie is laughing it has I'll a weird that. tone. They're just trying to set up that these people are truly in love. I don't know why you can't just accept that. All right. So fine. Let's fast forward. So then they go to the play. And again, the friend is all like, where are you going tonight? You going to the play? What play are you going to? What theater are you going to be at? Yeah. Like, all right, guy. Be more, be more obsessed. And then he invites somebody. He goes, no, no, I don't want to go to that. <laughs> all right. So they go to the play. And fine. Want to say something? Yeah, I want to move on from the scene and, and bash this movie some more. Do you have a, like a real important point? They're at the play. Yeah. And they're walking home. Yeah. And the guy comes out of the dark and wants his wallet. They scuffle. Patrick Swayze grabs the gun, gets shot, runs after the guy. Turns out he's already dead. Runs back to find his body. Bloody mess on the ground. He's already dead. This is 1990. Jurassic Park comes out in 93. You cannot tell me the the advancement of CGI has excelled that much from this movie to Jurassic Park. All the green screen shit, all the CGI stuff is atrocious. Well, let's talk about the fact that we're 
two one month removed from uh, Total Recall, and you completely accepted all of that CGI. No, 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 that's not true. I said the only. I didn't agree with the CGI, and I didn't like the practical effects. I said the only practical effect that I that I liked from Total Recall was when the, he took the head off and it exploded. That was it. I'm telling you that the green screen was absurd. On top of that, the 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 shadow monsters. Yeah, those are bad. They had eyes and a mouth. It's a shadow. What are you doing? I can get past, I can get past past you bad effects. You want more? Swayze's physical acting is atrocious. I thought it was good. I thought it was horrific. His his mannerisms they didn't look human. <sighs> it wouldn't. It was not a natural response to whatever was going on. I really thought you were going to be more on the same page with me on this, man. No. Anyway, I have a best scene nominee. Okay. You want to hear it? Let's do that. And you're going to probably shit all over this one, too. Uh, when Willie goes back to the house to try and find the numbers. And uh, Demi Moore doesn't know he's... She comes back while he's there. She doesn't know he's there. And the Swayze is trying to let her know that the guy's in the house. Like, I thought it was gripping. I thought it felt intense. I thought the Swayze was running around like a maniac, yelling, screaming. Totally sold me there. Yeah. Uh Scares the cat. Scares the cat to disrupt the whole thing. And I thought that scene was well put together, well written, well directed, well acted. That's fine. I agree with that. I don't think that every scene in this movie is trash. I just think that the movie as a whole is not, does not deserve the clout that it gets. All right, look, you want to talk about best scenes? Anytime Whoopi Goldberg was on screen was the best scene for me. I'm glad you can admit that. She single-handedly saved this movie for me. And you know what? Tell me another Whoopi Goldberg role that you've enjoyed. None. Zero. Zero. And I actually came into this movie, like, for some reason, expecting Whoopi to ruin the movie for me. She was by far the best person on screen. She, Speaking I, of I, which. I might say that up to this point in date on our podcast, this might be the single best role I've seen in a movie. I, I, don't, I definitely wouldn't say in, that. In our podcast? Name one better. I can't right now, but I, I don't want to go down... I won't argue it. She did a great job. That's I'll say that. She did win an Academy Award for this, too. She won Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress, yes. And deserved it. Yep. Okay. So th- that's best role. Worst role? Wait, that's it? We're just going to... Oh, do you... I'm sorry. Go I had a couple more things I wanted to talk about. Go ahead. I apologize. First of all, Whoopi's introduction to this movie is phenomenal. Yes. That whole scene is... I thoroughly enjoyed it. That actually is my best scene in this movie. I'll take it. Um, when she's sitting there pretending, doing her whole shtick where she's trying to swindle the old lady for money and the Swayze is talking and she's freaking out and he's not really there, but she can hear him. And everything about that scene was just perfection. Yeah. No, I it, thought it was great. It was funny. It felt real. Well written. It was well written. And she didn't play it as like a joke. Like it was a joke, but she didn't play it as a joke. She like was had this serious demeanor about her, but was funny and serious at the same time, which is not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. I'm on board with that. Um, I also love the fact that she keeps referring to him as a white guy and like can't get past the fact that he's white. <laughs> I found that amusing as well. <laughs> I got one more nominee for for best actor since uh, best role since I'm I'm on the the topic. The subway ghost, Vincent Schiavelli. I mean, he's only in like like three minutes of the whole movie, so I don't even say best role, but he does do a fantastic job with what. He's in. Is he not captivating every time he's on screen? Every time. Okay. That's all I'm saying. So I thought he did a great job. Oh, fantastic. But I don't think you can give him the best role. I mean. I just had, a, a, I just wanted to have the discussion. That's yeah, all. Yeah, he was great. Um, I actually said that, like, I love how he, he hates 
the sways at first for being on his train, but then by the end of it, he's so proud of him for being able to figure it out that he coached him into being able to touch and move things. And then immediately didn't know who he was. Did I miss something? Yeah, immediately after, he goes, who are you? Get off my train. Oh, that's fantastic. I did not realize that. And and then, oh, this way he's asking him, how long have you been here? And he has, can't answer it. Yeah, he's starting to lose his mind. He's been, yeah. he's been there too long, I guess, for whatever rules we're playing by in this world that they created. He's been, he's been in the, the nether region for too long. All right, so another good scene in the movie, which I actually remembered being completely cringeworthy, was uh, when... Uh, the Swayze uh, possesses Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. And I kind of felt like it played out actually kind of nice. Look, I, I think the, the one nice thing I want to say about the movie is that it had a beautiful sentiment, I thought, about the afterlife and angels and somebody looking over for you, somebody watching out for you and all that stuff. I thought that was nice and, and, and a nice idea. But I just think that... The movie as a whole was poorly executed. It's this is not my genre number one. Number two, I don't. I've I've come to the realization that I don't really care for Patrick Swayze's movies in general, and I thought that it was way over the top. Like I, I, I don't know. I just thought that it was it was it was absurd. Some of it was just absurd. Well, I'll tell you one thing. As much as I hated Demi Moore's screaming when he dies. Her emotionality throughout this movie, I felt it. I thought she did a great job acting. Right. Swayze ruined this movie for me. And you know what else ruined this movie for me? It, 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 and this is, it's it's contradictory what I'm about to say, but Tony Goldwyn, his, his friend Carl, played such a good douchebag that I hated him. And the sight of him actually made me uncomfortable. Well, that's good then. But... He, but I think you're giving me more positives about this movie than you are negatives. And I think you actually like this movie and you're just refusing to admit it. No, that's not true because I've admitted that I've liked multiple movies that I didn't want to admit that I've liked already on this <laughs> podcast. This is not one of them. This was not a good movie. All right. And another cringeworthy scene was when the friend tries to put the moves on Molly. Yeah. That what? was... So first of all, the spill of the coffee and like removing his shirt. Why is that his move? It's a disgusting thing to do. And to I think remove that's the your own shirt. And sit there like this. You're disgusting. You're a disgusting. Oh, I spilled person. my coffee. Let me take my shirt off. I'm not going to get a towel. I'm just going <laughs> to no, take yeah. my shirt off and be bare chested. Not going to try and clean myself up. Going to take because that's that's your move. Is that <laughs> what your signature move? You take your flabby body. You just take your shirt off. Uh, if I remember correctly, that man had six pack abs. He had six pack abs and no other muscle definition to speak <laughs> of. So being skinny doesn't make you. In good shape. Yeah, right. But the whole scene was so awkward and so uncomfortable, though, that that's what they were going for. So it worked. I'll give them that. All right. I was I was uh, I was actually upset at that scene. <laughs> well, so he did a good job then. We're he, I said he him. did yeah. a great job. All right. All right. So we did our best. Uh, we did our best roles. We did get a worse role. Yeah, Swayze. Swayze. Yeah, I, I actually have to agree with you on this. I don't think it was as bad as you're making it out to be. But of the four or five main people in this movie, he did the worst job. His facial expressions, his convulsing, and all of the physical acting was just ridiculous. It was terrible. So, all right. Most quotable line? Um, there's only almost, one as far most, as I'm Go ahead. Um, give me your most quotable line. All right. So there's, there's more than one nominee, but I think there's only one answer. And that's clearly, Molly, you in danger, girl. <laughs> yeah, I, I like whatever... 
Otome is telling us anything. Anything. My favorite thing is when they're in the bank and she's closing out the Rita um, yes. Miller account. Yes. And he goes, it's $4 million. And she's freaking out. He goes, how would you like that? She goes, 10s and 20s, please. <laughs> <laughs> $4 million in 10s and 20s. Yeah, I thought that Ridiculous. was good. <laughs> All right. The other quotable line, <laughs> screaming, get off my train. Yes. And. Again, I, I refer to him as Dead Guy Yoda because he really just like <laughs> teaches him how to I feel like that's use accurate. the force. <laughs> um, another good line is when we first learn about the uh, ability to uh, possess when you're dead. And the guy Orlando possesses her. That was good. And the first thing he says after possessing her is he sees his wife. He goes, damn, girl, what'd you do with your hair? <laughs> but like as if he hadn't seen her up until that moment when we all know. Yeah. Those can see the live people. I yeah. Thought, yeah. And again, the, the whole white guy reference. When Otome first finds out that he's white, she goes, I knew it. It's a white guy. Why me? <laughs> That's the worst thing that I could have into it. <laughs> Oh, what about stuff. Swayze's 90s blouse? Oh, oh his, uh, his the red shirt, his silk red shirt. Well, they were at the theater. They were at the oh, theater. I don't understand the, the men's blouses. Um, and also, did you know, did you see that the when Molly goes to talk to the cop, do you know who that cop was? No. You ever see the movie Office Space? Yes. That's Milton. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Excuse me. Have you seen my stapler? <laughs> that's that's him all right fantastic lastly also forgot uh directed by jerry zucker who directed airplane which he's, is he's a comedian uh, he's a comedian director yeah yeah top secret which is very it's another airplane-esque movie with val kilmer and you ever see the movie first night sean connery do you know this i realize this might be my the only vehicle of, from richard gear in which i like the movie <laughs> Richard Gere is the main character in this movie, and I like this movie. I feel like I've seen it. Yeah, it's like uh, Camelot, Sir Arthur, and Sean Connery, and Richard Gere. And well, I'll watch everything with Sean Connery. I've definitely seen this movie. I can't remember it, It was actually a good movie, so All right. there's um, my confession for the day. So I, I, I love this movie. Look, I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was it earned every I dollar. Say, I would say to see this movie. If you're a romantic, sappy, love story sort of person, definitely watch this but movie. Be this right is. up your it's alley. It's a date movie. This isn't, but it's a date movie, but it's got some action. It's got some comedy. It it clearly has the passion and the love. There, 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 there have to be better versions of this movie. Maybe there are, but you're not going to get a better version of Oda May than Whoopi Goldberg. And therefore, you have to leave this movie alone. And ghost. And if you haven't seen it, which I think everyone listening to this podcast has, you need to watch it just for Whoopi Goldberg's performance. But if you told, that's fine, and I'll agree with you in saying that. But I, I would disagree because if you told me that the best version of Whoopi Goldberg, you have to see this movie for the best version of Whoopi Goldberg. I'd say, well, I don't need to see this but movie. But I'm not saying it's the best version for Whoopi Goldberg. I'm saying this is. To me, after rewatching this movie for the first time as an adult, because I probably haven't seen this since I'm 15, 16 years old, yeah. I, I recognize that that was not just the best performance of Whoopi Goldberg. That's one of the better performances that I think you might ever see from a supporting actress, especially someone who's known for being a, 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 a comedic, like such a shtick type actor where she's just playing, you know, bits. Like she didn't just play a bit in this movie. She acted her ass off. All right, look, I'd recommend watching this movie, but I'd also recommend 
proceeding with caution because I don't think that it deserves all of the clout that it's received. All right. Well, I had fun talking to you tonight. I had fun arguing with you. Yeah, well, talking, arguing, same thing, right? I suppose. So what do we have next month? Because I think next month we get a little bit better again. Um, not that I didn't enjoy this month. In terms of making money, we're not doing so hot. But in no particular order, we have, well, I'll save that one for last. Uh, we have Air America. Oh, that's a Mel Gibson that. movie. All right. Ooh, we have Flatliners. Bro, I haven't seen Flatliners in forever. We might have to do four movies next week because the three and the four are within like $10,000 of each other money-wise. Well, I, I did four this week. Well, we're, we're going to do four next month because we have Dark Man. I don't know what that's about. You don't know what Dark no. Man is about? Bro, you're in for a treat. All right. So we're going to do Dark Man. We're going to do Air America. Flatliners. And then a movie that's not as good as the first, but still a lovely, lovely watch. Young Guns 2. Hold on. How dare you not tell me that we're watching Young Guns 2? I saved it for last. I Listen, I will save everybody for next episode. Wait till you understand the adoration that I have for the cast that's involved in this film. Not as good as the first, for sure, but definitely, definitely a beautiful 90s vehicle. With some great people in it. So. All right. See you next month. All right. Goodbye.